This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, very good morning to all of you. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to understand your word as we come to the end of the book of Romans, to understand how we are to relate to one another and how we as a church may glorify you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the greatest threat to Christians? What is the greatest danger to God's people in the church? What is the greatest danger for us as Christians today? Well, some people may say it's the rise of aggressive atheism. Or maybe it's materialism. Or is it the sexual liberal culture that we live in? Yet these are very real dangers and very real threats. But according to God's word in the book of Romans, the greatest threat to Christians, to God's people in the church is you and me. When we look in the mirror, when we brush our teeth or when we have a shave, We are the greatest danger to God's people. Now, this is the testimony of God's word, so it's something that we should not take lightly. And this is certainly the case in the church in Rome. Because the church in Rome were made up of two very separate and distinct people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the Jews grew up worshipping God by obeying very strict food laws and by observing special religious days and festivals. So after they became Christians, they kept on worshipping God in the same way, obeying the food laws and obeying the special days. And it became a matter of conscience and a matter of heart, where they could not in good conscience eat certain foods or break certain holy days without feeling that they had actually sinned against God. Now the Gentiles, on the other hand, came from a very different perspective. Uh, They came from a perspective where they ate anything and every day was the same. So when they became Christians, basically they had the conscience to do anything, any day, and to eat any food at any time. Now for the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, they were the greatest dangers to each other. They were the greatest menace to each other's faith. As we read in chapter 14 verse 3, which is up here, it says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So the one who ate everything, the Gentile, was looking down on the Jew with contempt, saying, you know, you should really grow up and be more spiritually mature. God said you could eat anything, therefore, eat. But the Jewish person, whose conscience was saying, no, you cannot eat every anything, were judging the Gentile Christians and saying, you guys are not really real Christians because you are ungodly and you're sinning against God. But as we read, these disputable matters, food, drink and days, were not salvation matters, they were not gospel matters, they were not obedience to teaching matters. But yet on these disputable matters, the Gentiles, Christians and the Jewish Christians were destroying each other and tearing apart the unity of the church. Now, These were not just hypothetical situations. Because, again, last week as we saw, when the strong person who ate everything influenced the weaker person to eat things which in their good conscience they couldn't eat, they were actually sending them to hell. So if you look here at the next passage, it said that they were putting up a stumbling block, an obstacle in that person's faith. They were destroying that person's faith. They were making that person fall and stumble. 
Now these words, stumbling block, obstacle, destroy, stumble, these were all judgment words. It was literally meaning that by their actions, the strong Gentile Christians who were eating everything and influencing other people to do so against their conscience were actually sending them to hell and judgment. Now, when we think of Rome, when we think of Christians in Rome, we often think that the greatest danger to the Christians there was persecution. Right? We equate like the Roman Empire to North Korea or something. Right? But if you notice, in the whole book of Romans, the greatest danger that we actually find was the danger of Christians about each other. And if you notice, out of 16 chapters in the book of Romans, two chapters were actually spent on this very issue. So that means more than 10% was spent on this issue. So it's a very, very serious issue. The danger that we pose to each other's faith. So chapter 15 continues on from last week. And it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. So I want you to notice the first thing is, Paul himself said himself, considers himself to be we. He considers himself as part of the strong. right? Because he says that he is the strong who doesn't have any scruples in terms of food and days. But yet, Paul, together with the other strong, says that there is an obligation we ought to. There is a duty, there is a responsibility to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He goes on to say in verse 2, and verse 2 is the key verse of this section, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So the main phrase here, the main principle of this section is the command, please other people for their good, for their sake. And the reason is you must please them for them to be built up. Now, when we read the responsive reading, it's actually a continuation from what we read last week about loving your neighbor. But this time, the neighbor is very, very narrow and specific. The neighbor here in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, is your Christian neighbor, your fellow brother and sister in Christ. You are to please them for their good. Because if you choose to eat you choose to drink or you choose to celebrate a day in a way which is against that person's conscience and causes them to fall and sin and face judgment and go to hell, then you're not pleasing them for their good. You're pleasing yourself for your own good. But it's not just that we must please our neighbor for ourselves, for themselves and not to do them harm. But it's because of three reasons, right? Three reasons are given why we must definitely not please ourselves, but please our fellow neighbor for their good. The first reason comes in verse 3. It says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, what does it mean that Jesus from Psalm chapter 69, fulfills the verse where the insults which were meant for someone else fell on him instead. 
Now Psalm 69 is a purple psalm. Right? It's like the psalm which you must know because it is referenced all across in the New Testament which is fulfilled in Jesus. And Psalm 69 is about the righteous sufferer. So actually when you look at that verse itself, what it's actually saying is the insults of people which were meant for God was actually falling on Jesus Christ. But there is a much bigger picture at play here because in all the Gospels, Psalm chapter 69 always refers to Jesus at the cross. So it's not just random insults that people were hurling at God, but it was the insults that were hurled at God through Jesus on the cross. So the bigger picture is, Jesus did not please himself, but he went to the cross to die for other people, to please other people. See, Jesus didn't go to the cross to please himself, but to please God and to please us. So we say that we follow Jesus, and Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then how can we not follow his example to please our neighbor, our Christian brother and sister, for their good, for their best? The second uh, point comes in verse 4. Okay, so I have all these points up here for, so for you to follow. Huh? And now I'll be going too fast, right? It says in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through in the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, what it's saying here is that Psalm 69 and other parts in the Bible were given to us so that God may give us endurance and encouragement. Because pleasing other people and not pleasing ourselves requires endurance and encouragement. See, look at verse 1. It says that we are, who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. See, bearing up with other people, bearing up with other people's uh, consciences, with their weaknesses, with their failings, with their struggles, requires endurance on our part. You know, if we want to do what we want to do and just please ourselves, it doesn't take any effort at all. But to cope with other people and to be considerate for other people and to think of other people, that requires endurance. That requires us to be encouraged by God to do these things. Now, the reason why we are to do these things, why we are encouraged and, 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 uh, and asked to endure these things is because on these disputable matters, it really doesn't matter to God in the end. It may mean that people around us are not exactly the same as us, but we are to endure it and we are encouraged by Scripture to endure it. Now, the third reason... Oh, sorry. I skipped one point. Now you notice there that it ends in a very strange way, right? In verse 4. It says that we are given endurance taught by Scripture and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope. Now this is a big we here. Because if we are willing to endure with one another and encourage to endure and please one another, together we will all have the hope of Christ in salvation. You see, if we do not please one another, we do not bear one another, we do not endure our differences, what happens? We become divided, we become stumbled, and some of us fall away 
and we are no longer saved. This is almost like an axiom, right? I'm sure all of us as Christians know of other Christians who in their churches, in their Bible studies, in their relationships, have been stumbled by other Christians and as a result, fall away. But what the Bible is saying is, we are meant to please one another and endure one another's differences on disputable matters so that we all have hope in Jesus Christ. One way of thinking about it is to see our church as a big life raft. Okay, So imagine this church is like a big life raft. We are all saved in Jesus Christ. We are all in this big life raft, but we, we haven't reached our destination yet. We're waiting together in the hope that Jesus Christ will come and will save us once and for all. Now, there's no point for us in this big life raft to start kicking each other out of the life raft because we eat different food and we celebrate different days and we drink different things. Right? It just doesn't make sense because these things are not important to God. They are, not, they are disputable matters. But yet over and over again, that's exactly what's happening in, in, in the life rafts. People are actually get, getting kicked out or leaving the life raft and drowning because they're disagreeing over disputable things which are not salvation issues. But that's not what we are taught here. We are taught to have endurance taught by Scripture and encouragement so that we as a body of Christ people may have hope together in Jesus Christ. Now the fifth point, sorry, the third point, sorry, the, the third point that we have, if you look up here on the slide, oh, you need to flick it up, yep. Is that verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does Scripture give us that endurance and encouragement, God Himself gives us that endurance and encouragement to bear with one another's differences on disputable matters. Because the purpose of our gathering, the purpose of our community is that with one voice and with one mind and unity and harmony, we praise God. That is our purpose, right? That we come together in unity, together with our differences on disputable matters, to praise God with one voice and one mind. And that's so important because it shows that we actually are fulfilling the purpose that God has for us as His people. See, these three things, it's like a trinity, right? In a sense, Jesus' example, Scripture and God show us how important it is to keep the harmony and unity of the body so that we may have the same hope in Jesus as we wait for Him and to praise God. See, one of the sad memories I had uh, when I was going through this passage was, and uh, this is quite an unusual situation, I was in an overseas church, a student's church in university in Australia, and the overseas church was made up mainly of uh, Singaporeans, Malaysians, Indonesians, uh, a sprinkling of Vietnamese, and some mainland Chinese people. So, being the overseas uh, Christian church, it really should be open to all overseas students, right? But it, it was actually quite Asian. So the, I remember many, many years ago, this was decades ago when I was much younger, 
a black man from Ghana joined us. And he was a quite a engaging fellow. I, I, I knew him quite well. But he was asked to uh, lead prayer. I remember um, just some way along the way. And when he led prayer, it was like, I've never been led in prayer before. Because when he prayed, he would get really emotional and he would start singing. I remember he would start singing, he would start clapping. And he was really, really into it. And you know, for us as Asians, we are very like uh, non-emotional, right? So we know when we pray, we just say the words, right? But he was singing, he was praying, he was clapping. I think, you know, if you could, he would start crying also, right? I had no problem with it. But I remember that one of the leaders uh, went up to him later on and said, you know, could you, could you tone it down a bit, right? Because, you know, it's just too, too emotional for us. But I think it was quite stumbling for him because after that point, we saw him less and less at our overseas Christian church. Now, I think that as we look at Romans chapter 14 and 15, if this is the way that he, this man was brought up to pray to God, and this is the way that he, you know, he wants us to pray together with him, then isn't it a disputable matter? There's, the Bible doesn't say that you cannot pray to God in a singing way, right? And that you cannot clap as you're praying to God. And I wonder what would it be like? Imagine if that black man from Ghana actually came to our church one day and he led us in prayer. Uh, would we be willing to endure and bear with him and to actually uh, please him for his own sake? Or would we say, oh no, no, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't pray this way. And would he be stumbled and then leave our church? Because I think this passage actually speaks to that, isn't it? That on this disputable matters, uh, things like the, the the way that people pray or the way that people worship God publicly or the Bibles that they use, maybe, or the style of uh, the, the, the way that they, they praise God. These are all disputable matters and it is so much more important that we actually fulfill the purpose of God want, that God wants us to do, which is to come together with one voice and one mind and to praise God. Now, in verse 7, it actually is a parallel to the first instruction, which is to please God. Verse 7 is a parallel to accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So if you look up on this slide, you can see that the parallel is very, is almost similar. Alright, so one is, you, you are to please one another for their sake, so that with one mind and one voice, they can glorify God. Now we are to accept one another to bring praise to God. Now, why is this here? I think it's important because we may please one another, we may bear up with one another, but we may not accept one another as equals in Christ. But what this passage says is that on disputable matters, Jesus has already accepted that person, so the strong and the weak and the weak and the strong are to accept one another. You know, the, the danger was that the weak would actually judge the strong and the strong would look down with contempt on the weak. But here it says they are to accept one another because Jesus Christ has accepted them. Now here we see that it is a very specific Jewish Gentile problem. And as we look at this passage, we see that it makes a very strong point that Jesus Christ has saved both the Jews in fulfillment of God's promises and Jesus Christ has saved the Gentiles because of God's mercy. Both are accepted 
before Jesus Christ. And there were three Old Testament passages which showed that actually God, many, many centuries ago, had said that he he wanted the Gentiles to praise God together with the Jews. Now, the last quote in verse 12 and 13 are different from the other two uh, Old Testament quotes. So let me read it to you in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what this is actually saying is, Isaiah was prophesying that not only would the Gentiles and the Jews sing praises to the same God, be accepted by Jesus, but both will have the same hope in Jesus Christ. So if you look at this slide up here, if the Jews and the Gentiles have the same hope, they're all accepted by Jesus and they sing praises to the same God, then how can they be divided on disputable matters? They cannot, isn't it? And this is such an important lesson for us. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. It is so important that if you look for the rest of chapter 15, Paul actually tells them that his ministry is God's plan to bring the Gentiles into the church so that they can praise God together. That his last act before coming to Rome would be to bring money from the Gentiles to the Jews in order that they would show harmony with one another in a practical way. So that's the way that we should actually exercise our church. We should accept one another regardless of disputable matters. So I remember in my previous church in Singapore, uh, they used to have a Korean congregation meet there in the afternoon. But we would have people complaining to us on Monday because they would say, oh, you know, all these Korean kids, they always play the water cooler, so the water is everywhere. And you know, the kitchen, wow, it's really smelly, it's kimchi smell all the time, don't know what they're cooking, right? And I was thinking, actually, it's no different from what this... Uh, pastor was telling me from Wales, where she was doing um, uh, ministry to mainland Chinese in Wales, and the local people complained about, oh, you know, these Chinese don't know what they're cooking, you know, can you please get the stink out of here? But yet the Koreans, the Chinese, the Singaporean Christians, don't they, don't they sing the same praises and make the same praises to God? Don't they share the same hope? In Jesus Christ, don't aren't they all accepted by Jesus Christ? In the same way, I was just talking to a pastor from a Baptist church a few days ago, and he was talking about how in his, in his own congregation there's divisions between the Chinese speaking and the English speaking congregations, and how there's the division between the older and the younger people in church. But surely, the older people, the younger people, the Chinese speaking, the English speaking people. Don't they all have the same hope, sing the same praises, and are all accepted under Christ? But yet they all disagree about the style of service and the time of the service and the things that they do. But these are all disputable matters, right? So I remember one of uh, my previous pastors in my previous church, he said, you know, one of the problems as Christians is we major on the minor and we minor 
on the major. So what happens is we major on the disputable things, the minor things, and we make a big deal of it. And these things should not divide us. We should not major on the minor. We should minor on the minor. Say, look, these things are disputable matters. Let's focus on what binds us together. Our same hope in Jesus Christ, our same praise to the same God, the fact that we are all accepted by Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Romans ends with uh, a warning, in fact, because if they were majoring on the minor, then the danger was that they were minoring on the manger. So turn with me to chapter 16, verse 17. We actually haven't read this yet in our Bible reading, so you need to follow with me, and I'll read it to you. In verse 17 of chapter 16, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now you notice here, that here are people who are also divided. People who are also disagreeing with one another. But the response is totally different. Instead of pleasing one another, accepting one another, what does he say? Keep away from one another. Keep away from them. That is the main command. Keep away from them. Now why is there such a big difference? In chapter 14 and 15, he's telling people, please one another for their benefit. Accept one another. Now he's saying, keep away. The difference is, is that in chapter 16, these people were not arguing about disputable matters. They were disagreeing on salvation issues, gospel issues, contrary to what they had learned from the Apostle Paul. And that's why it actually says later on that the Bible calls this teaching satanic or evil. So I think it's very important that we make it clear, right? So if you look at the diagram up here, this is the clearest I could make it. The undisputable matters, please one another, accept one another. But on matters which are contrary to the teaching of God, salvation issues, gospel issues, obedience of faith issues, keep away from these people because it is evil and satanic. Now, this is so politically incorrect these days because nobody, almost nobody will ever say that somebody's teaching is satanic or evil and you should keep away from it. But the only time I did remember was when Don Carson came and he uh, was giving a talk at uh, uh, Ottawa Presbyterian and I think it was a huge crowd of people. Someone asked him in the question and answer time and said, what do you think of the prosperity gospel? And I was sort of expecting that, no, as a visitor, he'd be very diplomatic. And he said, it is satanic. And everybody went, oh. Right. But in a sense, if you believe that someone is teaching something which is contrary to the Bible, contrary to God's word, then it is satanic. It is evil. You should warn people to keep away from it and not, not actually just, you know, equivocate and be very vague and unclear. And that's exactly what the Bible says here. You see, that's the problem because as churches today, as Christians today, we have it the wrong way around. 
we major on the minor and we minor on the major on things which are disputable. We are very sharp and clear and strong. But on the, the salvation issues, the gospel issues, we are vague and we are not clear. So I remember speaking to a minister in Australia not too long ago and he told me he was really troubled because of the bishop in his church. Because the bishop in his church in Australia was very particular about dress. If you go to certain occasions, you must wear purple. If you go to some other occasions, you must wear black. If you go to certain occasions, you must wear a tie. In other occasions, you must wear a collar. You must be very clear about what color robes you wear, what color stoles you put on for different occasions. Every occasion requires a very precise way of dress. But he told me, that although his bishop was very strong on dress, he had never heard his bishop say anything about whether same-sex marriage should be allowed in the churches or about whether same-sex clergy could be ordained. Now these were things which Romans chapter 1 speaks very clearly about. And these are salvation issues. These are clear teaching issues. But yet for this bishop, he was very clear on things which were disputable, but very vague, on things which were very, uh, uh, you know, very important. So instead of majoring on what was important, he was minoring on what was important. Instead of, you know, minoring on what was disputable, he was majoring on them. But at the end of the day, whether my friend wears purple or black, wears a tie or a collar, wears a white robe or, or you know, a red stole. Are these salvation issues? Is someone going to lose their faith because of it? No. But if my friend's church actually starts ordaining people who are homosexual and practicing and marrying those people within those churches, those are clear teaching salvation issues. But yet the bishop is unwilling to speak on them. So I hope that we remember this principle and inclusion, conclusion. I'd just like to share that, as we all know, it's been a quite a hard week for us as a church because we are grieving over the death of two people who are, I guess, close to us as a church family. I think in one way, they're all quite different in a sense, because one of them was Yongke's father, uh, Yo Che Kwang, and he was only diagnosed with cancer two months ago, and he, within those two months, praise God, accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Right? He made peace with people, and he was baptized in hospital just about a week and a half before he died. Now, the other one was Maggie, who has been one of our longest-serving members of our church, a Christian for decades. So one was a Christian for maybe a couple of weeks and a month. Another was a Christian for most of her life. Now, as we remember these two people, do we remember what they prefer to eat? Do we remember what they prefer to drink? Do we remember what day they celebrated? Do we remember how they like to praise God, what songs they like to sing? Or do we remember how they like to dress, or what order of service they preferred, or what type of Bible they like to read? No, these are not important, right? These are all minor, disputable issues. But what really counts, what really matters, is that they had the same hope in Jesus Christ that, that we do, and both of them shared. That they both were accepted by Jesus Christ, and that both of them have the same praise to God in their life.
See, that's what really counts. Right? That's what really unites us as a body. So I hope that as we listen to God's word, that we will truly accept one another, just as Christ accepted us. But on things which are serious in salvation, let us truly keep away from what is evil and satanic. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to commit our congregation, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ before you. Help us to see that in disputable matters, we are meant to bear up with one another, we are meant to accept one another because your Son Jesus Christ has accepted them. Help us to see that in these disputable matters, we are to endure and to be encouraged to live with our differences. Because what unites us is so much greater than the food or drink or days or other things. But dear Father, help us to see that there are things which we should be serious about. And of these things we must keep away from. Things which are contrary to the teaching of your word. Salvation issues, teaching issues, obedience issues, faith issues to Jesus Christ. And these matters teach us to be innocent of evil, for indeed they are satanic. So in this way, dear Father, each and every one of us here must truly be united in our praise to you, in our acceptance of Jesus, and our hope of Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg